Welcome, everybody, to episode 12 of Media Sandwich Reheated. I'm Chris. And I'm Kyle. We've made it to a dozen. Yeah, we've, we've made it to, uh, a, a dozen, a dozen little Sammies of ours that Sammies. took us too longer than we would have liked. We took a long hiatus and I think some folks might have suspected we were going to take another really long one because <laughs> that's what we did. We stopped after December and then we were gone for a good long while. We really were and that needed to happen at the time just because it did. But now we're back and we're being slightly more consistent. So there, everybody, we're we're doing stuff. We're the world's most okayest podcasters. I can't make that claim. Oh, we, uh, but we are we are the world's podcasters. We are podcasters of the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not like we're not the most liked podcasters, but uh, that does, that might not stop us from getting recognition as something which uh it's kind of like uh, award season which is starting now there we go what a good what a clever segue kyle <laughs> oh man i was trying so hard i think i, I think i might have twisted something i think you might have pulled an oscar there kyle oh well i mean it's going to be easy enough to pull off the oscars without a host this year that's going to be interesting though well, there's no host this year Oh, yeah, because you heard about all the Kevin Hart nonsense that went on. Um, oh, boy. he did. I don't want to get into it super nitty-gritty, but basically Kevin Hart, like, they, somebody brought up some old tweets where he said some, some gross stuff, and mm-hmm. in, in the ensuing tripping over himself to not quite actually apologize but come really close to it, he managed to just kind of muck it up further, and then he got really pissed because everybody kind of started dropping down on him. And eventually, it was just like, "All right, I'm not hosting. I'm not hosting the Oscars. I'm over it. I'm done. I'm over it." <laughs> and they were like, "All right, um, uh, Chris Rock, are you available?" And he said, "Hell no. There's no way in hell I'm going to come do it now." <laughs> So they said, okay, and they started scraping the bottom of the barrel looking for folks, and eventually they just said, all right, we're like two weeks away and we don't have a host, so guess what? We're going to do it without a host, because that's just what we're going to do. And, oh, it it sounds like it might be possibly the best Oscars in a long time, because it's going to be very stripped down. Mm Mm-hmm. So if they manage to do an Oscar ceremony that isn't, like, bloated and excessive and, dare I say, masturbatory, hmm. that'd be fine by me. That's fine. I don't, think that, I don't think that it really requires, like, six hours of nonsense. I, I like the awards better when it's like everybody's drunk and they just announce the name, give you the award, you say a little speech, they move right on to the next one, and they're done in like 45 minutes. Oh, man, I would love if they rapid-fired through the Oscars. I have I don't think I've watched the Oscars in at least a decade. At least. Uh, I was planning on... I, I really wanted to get together with Dan to watch it, because he suggested that we do so a few years back, and we were gonna, and then one of the kids got sick, if I remember right. As kids are wont to do. Yeah, oh yeah, they're always ruining stuff. Always. But this year, the Oscar nominations just came out uh, a couple days ago, and everyone seems pretty pleased that Black Panther is nominated for Best Picture. 
And that sounds good. I mean, I love the movie. I I think it's one of my favorite Marvel movies for sure. Probably my eh, second or third favorite. I really, <laughs> really loved uh Civil War and I loved Thor Ragnarok, but I also loved Black Panther, so I think yeah. that's totally fair. Yeah, it's it's definitely in my top five of the Marvel movies. It's there's something really, really special about it, just the way it's shot, the way I I don't know, I just dig it. It's it's a damn good movie and yeah. them putting that on the best picture list signifies okay, we're we're trying really hard to be a little bit more with it, a little bit less out of touch. The Oscars are not known for their relevance, especially yeah. with Best Picture. There yeah. have been some Best Pictures in the last 15 years or so. I would I would defy you to find somebody who's even seen them. Like, <laughs> does anybody remember The Artist at all? I never saw it. I I I'm I don't know of anybody who actually did watch it. It's <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like, oh, they made a movie about making movies. Well, the, the Academy loves those. Those will always get an award. Oh, of course. But uh, yeah, this is this is an un- unorthodox year because you know, for starters, no host mm-hmm. for two. You know, comic book movie up for best picture. Yeah. But uh Netflix is getting into the Oscar the Oscar game? Really? Well, they got like 10 nominations for Alfonso Cuarón's uh his big movie Roma, which like mm. swept all the all of the film festivals before they dropped it on Netflix cuz they paid for it or I think they just bought it. They they didn't actually produce it. Interesting. And then three nominations actually went to uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Coen Brothers wow. Netflix movie. Still need to see that one. It's uh, it's real fun. It's yeah. really weird. But, yeah, they got a uh, nomination for Best Original Song, Best Adapted Screenplay, because evidently, like, two of the uh, six stories are actually adapted from previous work. Hmm. And then uh, I think, like, Best Costumes... Uh, I really wasn't expecting that movie to get any award nominations just because it, it's very Coen Brothers doing their their weird, quirky film geek stuff, which mm-hmm. that usually doesn't get awards. Usually the Coen Brothers get awards when they do something a lot more uh, approachable. Mm. Like, well, that is to say No Country for Old Men is... Well, it's a, it's a straightforward movie, you know. It's so approachable. Not exactly approachable. Uh, what's the word? I guess maybe accessible is the word I was looking for. Slightly. I mean, I saw it and it didn't catch me too off guard. It didn't challenge is the wrong word. It did challenge me because all the movies challenge on some level, but it didn't. It didn't make me stretch too much, I think, to kind of follow along. I, I got, yeah. for the most part, what was happening, what every character was supposed to be doing and why. Um, yeah, like, I, I tend to think there are two different Coen Brothers movies. There's movies like, you know, Big Lebowski or Raising Arizona or Barton Fink, where it's like, oh, yeah, we're just doing something really weird. Mm-hmm. And usually it's us exploring some dead genre of film or messing around with some kind of, you know, color palette or something. And those are always really fun. Mm-hmm. They never get awards. 
And then the other Coen Brothers movie is the very, you know, straightforward, we're just making an incredibly compelling thriller or something with thriller elements to it, like a Fargo, No Country for Old Men. You know, they, mm-hmm. they have they have two different modes, and yeah. Ballad of Buster Scruggs is definitely the former. It's a weird Coen Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. But it's... Actually, that's that might be a good side, side tangent now, speaking oh, of okay. Coen Brothers. Uh, I mean, I'm happy did, to tangent about the Coens. Yeah, I mean, we well, we did get the... Today is when they showed the teaser with the dude. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, with the this, it's the date of the Super Bowl, right? That it shows the dude with like, it's like a fifteen second clip of the dude, and like, oh, the dude's back, the Big Lebowski, and then it says, here's the date. Yeah, and it's February third of nineteen, so that's that is Super Bowl day. It's a yeah. Super Bowl ad. Yeah, and it's it, like it's the follow up to the Crocodile Dundee Returns bit from last well, year. In theory. Cynically, we say yes, but we know that. So, how could it be? Is my <laughs> next is the next step, and now we start to play the Princess Bride moment of Ah, yes, I knew that you had put the poison in that cup, and therefore I switched the cup, and then oh, yeah, I yeah, from this and like you were left handed. I think, I think so, you are you are giving the advertising people. Like, you are imbibing them with some kind of Don Draper, like, genius understanding of their audience that I don't think actually exists. I think they full-on just saw, oh, that Crocodile Dundee thing worked awesome. Let's do the exact same thing. And it's, believe me, it's going to be for some product that is linked to the dude like Kahlua. Or something like that. Swear to God, it's going to be something stupid like that. But let's play the the what if game because we <laughs> no. have to consider the people involved in this. <laughs> okay. So this is Jeff Bridges, right? Yeah, it would have to be him. I mean, it is him. It, it is. That, him. that was him. He is a he's an actor who is he has enough gravitas that um, it means something when he comes back and does the dude. Secondly. This is the Cohen brothers. It's connected to Cohen brothers in one way or another. Cohen's yes. do not always do what you expect. What would be the most Cohen brothers move is to stealth announce with less like a week lead up a sequel to one of the most Cohen brothers movies for at the same time as the Super Bowl. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my tinfoil hat and play this game with you because. Okay. Also, the Super Bowl, uh, you think, you know, the Coen brothers have just done a movie with Netflix. They have a relationship with Netflix now. Now, the year before last, oh no, it was last year's Super Bowl, where we also had Netflix dropped the trailer for the Cloverfield Paradox, and then said, alright, look at this movie, that it's kind of a Cloverfield movie, we've decided, and... When's you, when is it going to be available? When can you see it? Tomorrow! Or, like, exactly. it was tonight. So, it's, it's within the realm of possibility that the Coens are in cahoots with Netflix now mm-hmm. after Ballad of Buster Scruggs and are doing the, the Netflix thing of stealth announcing a secret movie, but they're also 
camouflaging it under the this is a fake sequel that's actually just an ad to sell mattresses or something. Now, if we had to go even further... <laughs> there's further, oh my god. There's always more of this rabbit hole. If they're going to do this, you're like, whoa, this seems like... This almost seems like they would do that enough, that they would stealth-release a sequel to one of their movies, and who do we have? We have the dude, so therefore it's the Big Lebowski 2. Wrong. What if... Here we go. <laughs> what if that's also a ruse? And the dude is going to be going to the premiere of Oh Brother Where Art Thou again. And now it's actually a sequel to that movie. And we had no idea. Well, you know, you say that, but at the same time, I seem to recall John Turturro was making slight headlines a while back talking up they were going to make a whole movie out of his character from The Big Lebowski. They were going to do a Jesus movie. <laughs> Maybe this is that movie then. <laughs> I mean, weirder is... things... Both weirder things and not so weird things. All of these pieces suddenly start to make sense. And what doesn't make sense to me is how advertisers would be that brain dead to repeat an ad. That's one thing I haven't really seen advertisers do on the level of Super Bowl is to just see what worked last year and then just do the same thing again. Not that well, they will, I mean, on this level, because this is, this is a, it's a one-time trick. You can only trick people with like, you can only do the Crocodile Dundee movie tease once. You can only do the Tide ads once. That's a trick that you can only pull once, because if you do it again, we've seen how the trick is and, performed. And, and ordinarily, I, ordinarily, I would absolutely agree with you that there is no way that they would try to just use the same exact trick again. But at the same time, this is 2019, Anything is possible at this point. So now, here's further. <laughs> so, what we've decided is the dude will be attending the premiere of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou 2, starring Jesus instead, the <laughs> character from The Big Lebowski. That'll be a, a tweet. And then when he sits down to watch it, and you decide, you go, it's like, go to Netflix and watch it. You turn it on, and within the first 15 seconds, David Harbour comes out and says, actually, it's a Tide commercial. And boom. <laughs> now we totally didn't expect that. But it makes perfect sense, because it's David Harbour, and he's on Stranger Things, which is on Netflix. Exactly. So it's actually a Stranger Things 3 trailer, which that might actually be at the... The Super Bowl. Oh, there we go. Well, didn't they say that's coming out uh, this summer? Oh, that's right. They are doing it uh, in the summer. Unless further, maybe they're stealth releasing it. Oh, God, we need to stop. Bowl. We need to stop. <laughs> so do we tangent back to the Oscars, Kyle? Yes, let's do that. Let's, <laughs> let's go back to the Oscars and everything that's really conventional about them by talking about uh, Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody. Very, very conventional movies that are winning a lot of awards this year. And, you know, I'm a bad moviegoer. I ha I saw a total of Infinity War last year. <laughs> and what else did I see? I, I did see Ant-Man and the Wasp. I did see... I mean, this is all after the fact. The only movie I think I saw in theaters was Infinity War. I saw Ant-Man and the Wasp after that. You saw I, Solo as well. Oh, that's right, I did see Solo in theaters. Was that last year? Was that really only last year? That was 2018, man. Wow. Yeah, was, I saw that. It was, it was like May of 2018, so that's why you don't remember it. That would be. Oh, I did see Incredibles 2 in theater. 
Uh-huh. I don't even remember what else came out last year, but I, I didn't see a lot. Well, and well the, the big crowd pleaser this year is A Star is Born, which... So, like, that's up for Best Picture. Lady Gaga's up for Best Actress nomination. Good uh, for her. Yeah, Melissa McCarthy's up for Best Actress for uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? So, diverse field of performances, I'd say. Uh, I have no doubt that Black Klansman will probably win Best Screenplay in order to alleviate any guilt of snubbing it for Best Director or Best Picture. Mm-hmm. That's the Academy's way. Um it's all politics. Yeah, uh, I will say that Ready Player One is this year's contender for the most shameful title to be nominated. Uh, <laughs> not quite edging out the shame from last year's uh, Boss Baby nod, or the year before that, uh, starting this trend with Suicide Squad's, I believe, win. What was it for? Was it for, like, costumes or something? I think it might have been for makeup effects or something like that. I mean, give it to them. I mean, that's uh, not, I yes. mean there, there's worse things than, than that. I mean... But still, Oscar-winning Suicide Squad. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the big question for me, I think the only Oscar thing that I'm even interested in this year is... Uh, will Pixar's superhero film or Sony Animation's superhero film win Best Animated Feature? I'm still bad. I still haven't seen um, Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, I like Into the Spider-Verse. It's good. I mean, Incredibles 2 is one of the best blockbuster films of 2018, hands down. But It's a great one. It is. But Into the Spider-Verse has me wishing Sony that would really learn from this, reinvent some of their shaky IP using this framework. Like, for instance, give me a Ghostbusters animated film that crosses over the new 2016 world with the original world, the way those that line of IDW comic books did. There you go. And that would be an amazing idea. Do an animated Ghostbusters movie, merge both of the Ghostbuster teams, have a lot of fun. It costs a fraction of what it would. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just in a way, I'm just like, you know, Sony, don't don't even argue with me. Do it. <laughs> I've had to put up with all kinds of shit from you over yep. the last decade or so. Just just do it. Do something smart. <laughs> but instead, instead, apparently we're going to try to pretend the last movie never happened. Because that strategy worked so well for the Terminator franchise, didn't it? Well, Terminator <laughs> and Ghostbusters is a different story entirely. The Terminator movies have... They got Rocky fast. Not even to consider the Rocky movies. But Ghostbusters decided to kind of take a hot dump on the concept of what they were doing. Which is a shame. Because they kind of poisoned the water before the the movie had a chance to be what it needed to be, whatever it needed to be. Um, I've watched so many different things about that movie before, after, during. Um, and I still haven't seen it, which makes me kind of an a-hole to judge it without having seen it. But I feel like I've seen so much about it that I kind of understand where I would land. And I'm pretty sure if I saw it, I'd probably like it well enough. I'd probably get a few laughs. I'd probably really like a few characters and really be not feel obnoxed i'd be obnoxed by other characters but <laughs> yeah no it's i i saw it it's uh i i'm i'm not the target audience for it yeah but, i mean they made the big misstep 
Um, and because you remember back, because we even did Nora Answer episodes about is this going to be good or bad, and I was arguing that I'm psyched that I thought this movie is going to be great and it's going to be really fun, and I was excited because when I saw the cast, I was like, yeah, I'm excited. I even saw the cast, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be good. I don't know, everyone's throwing flipping out. This is going to be good. But then they made the mistake in the first trailer to say, oh yeah, 30 years ago a team did blah blah blah. So it's like, oh, it's in the same universe. Like, no. Like, what, but but why? Why would well, you make such an? I mean, that that was the that was the thing that wasn't just a mistake. It was an amateur mistake, which said to everyone who could have been persuaded potentially, oh, you're not even attempting to do this correctly. And it's unfortunate because it probably wasn't even, you know, it wasn't Paul Feig, Feige, Paul, Paul, Paul Feig. Wasn't Paul's fault? No, I don't think it was. It, no. Not Paul Feig, is Feig. it? Is that Feig? Well, Paul, poor Paul. I don't think he had anything to do with that trailer. I don't think any of the, any of the writers or the actors. Oh no, no. I mean, trailers. Trailers are done by outside companies, yeah. even. Whichever so. company. I don't think they have a contract with with Sony anymore, nor should they, because that trailer, that trailer borked them bad, because it set up the expectation that this was going to be a prequel, or I'm sorry, a sequel continuation, and it wasn't, and they needed to come out front and be like, this is a, this is not a continuation, which is still a mistake, I think that is a mistake, if you're going to soft reboot a franchise, you can't go for the hard reboot and be so drastically different like this without actually having the chutzpah to be so drastically different. And what I mean is that, yes, it was drastically different. They, It's an all-female team, and they are in a, over the Chinese restaurant as opposed to in the firehouse, because they couldn't afford the firehouse. And that's, though, really the main difference. Otherwise, it's all pretty much the same movie again, or at least it's too close to the same movie. It's too close to to similar beats showing where they're going. Um, here's this scene. Here's that scene. Here's, you know, too many connections were made from the original to go. So did you want to remake the original or something new? Did you want to pay homage to the original or not? What do you want to do? It, it really, it speaks to me as a as a movie that, uh, nobody could come to consensus on anything about it except mm-hmm. for the fact that it had to be made immediately so that all the money could be made off of it. Other than that, everybody was at odds about everything from the looks of it. It looked like the director was making a totally different movie from the cast, which is really odd when most of the movie is improvised on the spot by the cast, and you can tell. And that's kind of why it's not my cup of tea, is it's not really a movie so much as it's like it's it's really loose and improvised humor, which is fun. It's very fun when it's done correctly. I'm not even saying this was done incorrectly. It's just my problem is I I get very burned out on the humor that's just you know one zany phrase repeated back and forth mm-hmm. by two people because clearly the actors are trying to figure out what the next part of the bit is. Yeah. Like, I know how the sausage is made. I know, I know what playing an improv game looks like, and that's what it looks like. It, you know, you're stalling for time. Mm-hmm. And when I'm watching a movie that's like, man, this movie costs like $300 million or something like that, and, and we're spending five minutes of it on this bit that's going nowhere, I'm, I'm so tired. Yeah. And, 
you know, what it comes down to is, look, if you didn't find it funny, you didn't find it funny. If you did, you did. Parts of it are very funny to me. I thought, I thought Kate McKinnon was fantastic in it. Her character steals every second of screen time that she has. And it sounds like she really was trying to do something different, uniquely her own character, her own Yeah, she's, a, she's in a totally different movie from everyone else, which is weird. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the director is making, like, I mean, it's the guy who did Bridesmaids, and it feels like, yeah, this is Bridesmaids with, like, really intensely good special effects for some reason. Yeah. And then, you know, Chris Hemsworth is in it. He's very funny as well. That mm-hmm. character is a is a great concept. I love it. There there are things about it that totally work. It's just maybe it wasn't the right guy to make a big blockbuster special effects movie, which maybe it shouldn't have even been a big blockbuster special effects movie. I know that the original Ghostbusters is, but well, we primarily think- it's a comedy. Well, the thing that's, that, that, the first Ghostbusters was unexpected for one. That was not, no one thought it was going to be anything because it just was. It was a thing that came out and just was. And is it a special effects wonder? Yeah, it was because it had limitations and it had to figure out how to succeed in those limitations. I mean, you still look at the peanut like, that's a peanut. You know, that's a peanut, but we also say that's a ghost. And we're fine with that. It's the same way that we are impressed by the original Star Wars trilogy's special effects, that we know so many of them are practical or just by design. How did they make that happen on, on such a smaller budget in such restricted... Oh, yeah. I, I find effects. it way more impressive when somebody's like, oh, yeah, that Surface of the Death Star pan shot. We literally just took a bunch of battleship kits, glued them all together onto a table, and drove past it with a Jeep. Yeah, there's so many um, movies that do that and that we look back on fondly and go, wow, that was a real, that was a feat of filmmaking. Ghostbusters, the first one at least, was to some extent a real feat of filmmaking. This was, oh, yeah, this totally. Was, this was pushing things not just in style, not just in writing, but in, and in like concept, but definitely in special effects. It, and, this was a unique movie. Absolutely, and and I would even go further as saying Ghostbusters has fingerprints all over the the Marvel movies now in terms of linking, you know, linking the popular comedy of the day into a big blockbuster action extravaganza, Mm -hmm. molding the two together to make for a feel-good popcorn movie. All of them are like that now. Like yeah. that that's why movies are the way they are right now is a callback to movies like that from the eighties. And the which trouble is what largely a lot of our movies are now are just straight up callbacks. Like There you go. Please see my uh my Bumblebee review for further yeah. details. But with this new Ghostbusters, I saw the trailer and I just thought Okay, what are you doing that is special? You are, you've got the story that's from the original, more or less. Okay. Hey, there weren't ghosts. Now they're ghosts. Let's go bust them. Okay. I've seen that story. What can you offer me that's different from that? Well, these are ladies. No, that's not different. I don't care. That's cool. I'm fine with that. I just want them to be cool characters. Are they cool? Sounds like one of them's cool. Sounds, sounds like a couple of them are kind of cool, but sounds like a couple of them are not so cool. I don't, you haven't got me by them. What's your, what else you got? 
Special effects? Oh, you look like Sony special effects. And I think we all know what Sony special effects look like. I mean, you all you have to do is start comparing Amazing Spider-Man to Ghostbusters to Pixels, and you're like, oh, that's Sony special effects. Oh, God, Pixels. I forgot they're, Pixels existed. They're, they have a certain sheen to the special effects that look a little glowy, a little obvious, and very fake. And you just go, okay, well, that's fake. So when I saw the big scene, this huge fight scene with the with the proton weapons and the ghosts in Central Park, and there's a giant ghost, and there's some other ghosts, and, and fog and stuff. And I'm like, this just... It just looks like you're fighting. This this could have been a scene from The Amazing Spider-Man. It could have been a scene from Pixels for all I I know. I don't know. It. I just look at it and I go, this that doesn't that that's so that's not cool. You've not done nothing special effects wise that make me go, oh, this is going to push something. Granted, it's really hard to push special effects nowadays. I don't fault them for not being able to do that. But that's a hurdle they have to jump. If you're going to do this, you need to be able to. You need to know what hurdles you got to jump. And if you can't jump the hurdle, you need to be ready for that. And honestly, if they had kept the special effects around the same quality as the original, that might have been unique enough to give it an edge. To say, hey, sure, we're remaking the original. Sure, we're changing stuff that's going to piss people off. But what if we did that now using special effects techniques of the time? How can we improve on those in ways you might not have thought? Have we got everything out of these special effects techniques? No, because there's always something more you can do with practical effects. We've seen that again and again. There's only so much you can do with computer effects. That's you know, that's what I'm saying. Man. That's that's <laughs> my that's my analyzation of the movie and why so many people did not go see it when they needed to go see it. Fair enough. I, you know, I, for for the most part, all I can say about it is, no, it wasn't for me. I totally understand why people like it. I totally understand why people don't like it. It, me, I, I'm kind of aggressively neutral on the subject. But, uh, apparently, apparently that movie is just going to be null and void. And Jason Reitman is directing a new one that, uh, so we saw a little teaser. Uh, a little teaser video which involved unveiling the old car mm-hmm. we're told that the original Ghostbusters, the surviving ones are going to be in this so it is, a, it is a very definitely a Ghostbusters 3 scenario mm-hmm. but also we're told that the protagonists of the new one are going to be children but there's uh, I, uh, also there's the car, so I'm not sure who's going to drive the car. But and then then there's also I'm starting to think this might just be a really bad idea, and maybe they just <laughs> need to leave Ghostbusters alone for a little while. Well, they don't. They just need to know what they're trying to do. That's the problem. Is no one seems to know what they're trying to do. Like you can do there. You, there are so many different paths that you can go. Like go back, go back. Let's go back. You go back to like 2011 when suddenly there's serious talk of all right, Ghostbusters is going to exist again in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Dan Aykroyd out there just just mouthing off, going, "Yeah, I wrote Ghostbusters three. Yeah, wrote it in a weekend." 
Yeah, totally. Took acid, just dropped acid, wrote it in a weekend, I did. And <clears throat> it's uh, it's the best movie I've ever written in my life. Might be the best movie ever ever made, honestly. We we don't know. And like he's just ma- just going a mile a minute talking about this movie that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And he's talking like, oh yeah, in this one, everybody like the Ghostbusters are gonna go to hell or yeah. something like that, and just just talking a blue streak. And meanwhile, Bill Murray's just for years going, I'm not gonna be in another one of those, not now and not ever. <laughs> and then Harold Ramis passes away, and then. Everybody's like, okay, Ghostbusters 3 was a thing that may have happened at one point or another, but is never going to happen again. Then you've got Hard Reboot and Soft Reboot. Those are basically your three avenues to go, is straight-up sequel, continuation movie, or Hard Reboot, Soft Reboot. Well, they tried Hard Reboot, and it didn't work, so they're just leaving that one in in the bin. Mm-hmm. And now... <laughs> Now I guess they're going to try to meld the other two options together because it's going to be kind of a sequel, but clearly kind of a soft reboot where it's going to be a passing of the torch kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I like. I'm sure. I'm sure at Sony there was a big like beard strokey meeting where somebody was like, "It should be like the Force Awakens with the old cast showing up." to hand off the reins to a younger cast. And it's like, mm, mm, yes, yes, mm, yes, Force Awakens made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But it's like, but here's the thing, you, you really... <laughs> I, I, I really feel like they're not grasping the idea that there are a couple of Ghostbusters left. Mm-hmm. Dan, Dan Aykroyd does not want to let go. No. Bill Murray could not let go faster. And Ernie Hudson is like, please just call me. <laughs> for, for God's sake, please call me. I will show up for anything. Yeah. I feel so bad for the man because he did publicly announce. They they dropped this this video. And the thing that's really giving me pause is they're like, oh, yeah, the original Ghostbusters are in it. It's a continuation. It's a sequel. So, yeah, they're going to be old men Ghostbusters for a bit. That's going to happen. Meanwhile, like, the next day, Ernie Hudson says, I would really love it if someone would call me. Oh, no. Like, he he made, like, a public announcement that was like, I'm so excited for this new movie. Please, someone contact me to be in it. Oh, man. And it's like, so if he's not in it, and this is a teaser for a movie that's supposedly coming out within the next year and a half? Oof. This feels like either they made a movie without Ernie, which is not acceptable. I I don't need another Ghostbusters if you're going to treat the man that way. No. It's either that or there is no movie, and this was just to drum up interest in a movie that doesn't exist yet, and we're going to get Franken-movie again, where it's like nine different movies crammed into one. So here's how I would make the movie. (laughs) Okay. So... Continuation. It's been exactly how long it's been since the last mainline Ghostbusters movie. How long has that been, Kyle? That was the second one was nineteen ninety or nineteen ninety one. Okay, so we are twenty five years out from that. 20, yeah, almost, give or take, you know, almost thirty years. Okay, so you open up 
in if if we wait till 2020 then that's 30 years since the second one so so we'll say we'll just for sake we'll say 30 years have passed give or take um opens up in a small town somewhere in the pacific northwest or on the west coast we're going to start this in the west coast not going to end in the west coast going to start the west coast you start with a brother and sister sister's a spitfire she's a little older younger brother sees ghosts and he's always had some trouble with that. The sister is fascinated by this. She's one of the only people in their family that believes the brother. She wants to help him. She's also some sort of tech wizard and is interested and is fascinated by the Ghostbusters. She's done a lot of research. Things are getting worse and worse for the brother because more ghosts are apparently appearing to him. He's almost like the Sixth Sense kid. But... He can't help it. He's a little, he's kind of a sad, tragic character. So the sister's like, enough of this. We need to talk to the people who know about ghosts. We're going to go talk to the original Ghostbusters. It's been 30 years. They're defunct. Where the hell are they? Well, they got to go to New York. Well, these two are relatively still kids, teenagers. So they're not totally stranger things age. But so it's like well, kids go to the big city for the first time kind of thing. Kind of. So they're going to start going. They're going to try to make their way hitchhiking to New York City. Along the way, the kid is attracting more and more ghosts, different ghosts from different parts of the U.S. that he would not have anticipated would be attracted to him. He's a, he's an antenna for ghosts. That's integral to this. This kid is this kid is is the ghost magnet. Suddenly, like drawing out more and more of this. Why is that happening? We don't know. We're gonna find out. The sister, meanwhile, has been toying, trying to identify how the Ghostbusters made their tools, and she's made. Her own kind of tools that she's tested. Some effectively, some not so, but she starts finding that they can make some money to get on their trip by helping with ghost-related incidences across the U.S., helping in, you know, little places here and there. Shenanigans ensue. Eventually, by the end of the movie, they've made it to New York. They've met with some of the Ghostbusters. Dan Aykroyd is fascinated by this character. Because, oh my gosh, this kid is an antenna, and suddenly that's really big and important. This basically, like, starts a chain reaction where New York goes crazy again, and wouldn't you know it, there's only a few Ghostbusters left, and now it's these two kids, and Dan Aykroyd, and maybe Bill Murray, but definitely Winston is there. Because Winston is always there. (laughs) He's got to be the clutch save at the last minute, where they didn't know... They were going to make it through, and the last second comes, you know, like the fourth proton shot out of nowhere. It's like, whoa, who's that? It's like, oh, it's with I, I dig it. Uh, my, my idea for for the Ghostbusters, which I had back when I was in college, was something somewhat similar. I, I like the idea of focusing on young people. That's fine with me. Mm-hmm. I do like the idea of. Put it in like middle America, put it in like Nebraska or something is my idea mm-hmm. and make it an idea of like, you know, you, you went to making a person a, a, a ghost magnet. He's a MacGuffin, but he's also a character. So we get to learn about him and we get to have a connection because the sister cares about him. Right. That, that, that's good writing. And the I, movie's called Ghostbusters Highway to Hell, by the way. Oh, that's not bad. Uh, and 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 making it a road movie is is mm-hmm. a smart concept. I like it. It starts My- it humble enough, gives you enough references, tries something new, starts a new generation. These this that's 
this is what I want. Okay. And that that would fit in with the kind of tone that I think would be smart to go with is like for instance that uh Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle movie mm-hmm. or those uh really I'm just thinking like Jack Black movies like the that uh, the Goosebumps movie that mm-hmm. came out a bit ago. There's this tone of these movies are for you know, they're aimed at like preteens or young teens, you know, it's it's PG kind of fun humor, but it's ultimately it's an adventure movie that's aimed at younger viewers. Mm-hmm. That would be a smart concept to take the Ghostbusters in. I know that that's sacrosanct because, hey, it was an R-rated, you know, Wild Bunch kind of comedy, you know, it's Caddyshack kind of humor. Well, eh, yeah, if you mix that with Dan Aykroyd's funny UFO theories. Mm-hmm. But I, my idea was to make it, I was going to borrow from a different genre and make it kind of a teenage, like, teenage wasteland day in the life kind of thing, much like an American graffiti or dazed and confused. Mm-hmm. Only make it in a world where, you know, after 25, 30 years, the Ghostbusters have franchised out. Mm-hmm. And these kids are just, like, they're Ghostbusters in middle America where, like, there are not ghosts that are tearing up the space-time continuum or ripping open the sky and trying to take over. Like, it's just crappy ghosts in crappy, you know, small town. Mm-hmm. So they're just, like, the crappy Ghostbusters. They're in a van. They've just got equipment spilling out of the van. They're constantly late for shit and... You know, like, basically, they're Ghostbusters who are regarded as, like, pool boys. Mm-hmm. That was my idea. And then I had a haunted roller rink. <laughs> why? Because why not? Always. Wow, we Here's spent another... so much time talking about Ghostbusters movies that we came up with in our heads. Here's another concept. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Best in show, but Ghostbusters. <laughs> to make well, it a mockumentary. Oh, you know, that's not a that's not a terrible concept actually. Yeah, that would so that would work pretty well. Yeah, it's been thirty years. Someone is making a, a documentary about the events that happened. Um they're trying to interview anyone who was affected by it or understands what's going on. Oh, the whole third act takes place at Ghostbusters Con. Yes, or something like that. And it's just this, you know, they they can't determine whether it was real or not, or everyone was hallucinating, or, you know, it was just that New York is a weird place. And Man, you get Taika Waititi to make that movie? That'd oh, be awesome. That oh. would be, I think that would be another possible avenue. It's just, like, they need to identify what, what they're trying to do. If they need, like, they, because a Ghostbusters movie has to hit two audiences, and it has to hit both. It has. I, to hit I think both. we've we've kind of nailed the problem with the 2016 Ghostbusters movie is that all of the things that we just came up with are just us like playing, just like oh, let's take the Ghostbusters as a backdrop, as a concept, mm-hmm. and let's just toss the ball around and screw around with it and make it fun, make it weird, make it interesting. Even if we're throwing out ideas that don't exactly work or aren't exactly fully formed, we're just playing around. That movie felt so strategically stitched together. It felt so, it felt so, you know, artificially flavored. Mm -hmm. But that's just me. Anyways, let's talk about something more relevant. Uh, Ghostbusters are relevant. 
Well, they they are now because new one coming uh, at some point. But in the meantime, Netflix raised their prices on you. So if you want to watch the old Ghostbusters movies, you can for a few dollars more. So how much did they raise it? Because I heard they got raised and I haven't really been paying attention. Well, it depends because they have so many different tiers of service now at this point. So their most popular one is the one that's. Oh boy, I think it's like around eight dollars, and now it's being cranked up to ten dollars, if I remember right. But I'm like that, maybe from ten to twelve, or yeah, like all it across, got a couple across the board. They're all going up by like two dollars, I think. And which is a bold move that Netflix needed to do, and they've been desperate to do for half a decade or more, for a whole decade. Let's actually, Netflix has been underselling themselves. But unfortunately, that was this. It was a necessity to establish streaming service as a viable model, and they had to get everyone to buy in on the ground floor. They did. Now they have competition between Hulu and Amazon Prime, and um, you know HBO Go and Disney Service, whatever the heck it's going to be, whenever the heck it's going to be. And it feels like every darn network has their own service now. They're trying to push. And so, obviously, Netflix is going, okay, we're no longer the only game in town, and in fact, we're not the only game in town that's doing good stuff. Every single one of those is doing something really, really well. They have a unique show or movie or just thing about them. They have something good in syndication, or they have a niche that they hit so, so well. I agree with you. Like, as a customer, I'm starting to question if Netflix actually is the end-all, be-all of streaming services. They've got so much competition from where they started. Absolutely. And I have not been watching Netflix almost at all recently because I have been going through HBO Go doing things. I have rewatched all of Game of Thrones Partly, like, it, accidentally in anticipation for the final season, um, I had just decided I wanted to rewatch it because I wanted to see if I got more out of it the second time over, knowing the characters and the concepts and locations, and I did much more second time, um, and I finished that watch through, and I actually enjoyed it a lot more, especially the early seasons I appreciated a lot more because I wasn't constantly doing the, wait, who, who's he, where? Where yeah, no, it, it makes it a lot better. It's yeah, uh, I, I picked up so many more details that I had completely missed because there's just so much going on, and that was a negative at the time. But now that I've gone through, I'm like, okay, this I'm I'm a lot less sour on the early seasons. Still, mostly excited about the later seasons because the later seasons they get to be a TV show, and they start to follow TV show logic for better or worse. I think for better, a lot of people yeah. say for worse, but. Um, and I am currently going through a show, their show, uh, Room 104. Yeah, yeah, you told me about this one. I am highly recommending it for Crossing the Streams because they're only half an hour episodes. Each They have two seasons of 12 episodes. Each one is a different story. It's weird. Um, it's not quite Twilight Zone level of weird, and it's not quite Black Mirror level of weird. It is, you know, it's an anthology show. So every every episode, it's a different cast with a different premise, different rules, different theme. Usually, See, I'm, I'm totally up for that. That's yeah. I I like the idea of let's do an anthology show and then take advantage of the genre and have different episodes have different tones and different 
motifs yeah. to him. I, I like that idea. The only connecting thread is that it's in room 104, which is genius, I think, from a production standpoint, because the set stays the same. With minor, you know, alterations here and there, as need be, for the scenes, but for the most part, 95%, 99% of the show is takes place in this one room, in this one set, and it just, it because it's so restricted, it allows the uh, the actors and the writing to go as far as it possibly can. It has to fill this space because the space is so limited. They have to make a story work bigger, broader. It's a whole. It's a show of bottle episodes. And, oh yeah, and that works because every episode gives you some diff something different. And there's a lot of really good actors popping up. It's the Dupless brothers who are the ones that uh, that run this. And I forget what else they've done because I saw that. I'm like, oh, oh, I they've know done that a, they've done a whole bunch of stuff. Like they they range all over the place. Like even one of them was on the League, I think. And then yeah, you know, they make all those uh, mumblecore movies and. <laughs> Uh, they also produced some Netflix documentaries. They did the Battered Bastards of Baseball about the Portland Mavericks here in, here in our great city of Portland. Uh, they also, I believe, produced the Wild Wild Country documentary from those same guys that did Battered Bastards of Baseball. And that was the one about the cult out here in Oregon. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I mean they 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 do they've been doing a lot of stuff. So I, I had no idea they were behind this one. I'll I'll definitely give it a shot. Yeah, it sounds I, right up my alley. Yeah, I'm excited for you to watch it, and I don't want to give away any of the episodes to you because I'm pretty sure you're gonna have a ton of moments where you just stop and go, "What did I just watch? Why did you make me watch that?" And I'm I'm in for something like that right now because I just spent the last week, uh, and I'll have a post for this here in the next few days. I just went through the first season of Friday Night Lights, which <laughs> got dropped in my lap quite literally. A family member handed me the complete series in DVD box set mm. and said, I got this for Christmas. I don't know if it's any good. Can you watch it for me? <laughs> so I watched the first season. I'm like, um, well, this is unexpectedly really engaging. I'm really digging it. Mm. Uh, I don't, I can't tell you exactly why, but I'm gonna need a switch from that, and this sounds like the perfect antidote to Friday Night Lights is Room 104. Yeah. And to our point here, HBO Go has become my de facto watching of things, because I'm interested in rewatching the shows there, their longer shows, in they've between, got they've got a ton of content on there that's too. comparable to Netflix's amount of original content, and some of it's I mean some of it's already stronger because it's established. I mean they have shows that if I want to go back and watch Six Feet Under or The Sopranos, I have that ready and waiting for me. If I want well, to try yeah. newer shows like Succession or Sharp Things, I have those waiting for me. And and the difference is that on HBO, like. I'm gonna I'm gonna say four out of five of anything you click on on HBO is quality content, whereas mm-hmm. on Netflix it's more like it's it's basically like here are ten things this month that are all great, and these are the ads that you're gonna see. Yeah. But also we're padding it out with here's thirty five other things that we're dropping this month that are all total garbage, and we like they're just there. 
Like they're, they're growing... just there to fill fill their fill their uh you know fill all out all of the options possible so that they can say they have, you know, however many thousands of things. The but... Netflix more or less their style is they have a dartboard set out and then they grab a handful of 50 darts in one hand and they oh, they chuck it as hard as they can at that dartboard and a few of those darts they hit and they throw it so hard they just they bury up to the feathers but man a lot of those darts just fan out and bounce off the wall yeah, uh, from the sounds of things, possibly the new Carmen San Diego might be a bouncer. It looks like a bounce to me because it's, I mean, I like Carmen San Diego. I, I was a fan early I on. like this concept that, that I've read about for what the new one is because it's supposed to be like, you know, she's still a thief, but she's like an anti-hero who's stealing famous things and giving them back to their rightful owners. Mm-hmm. So kind of more like an Indiana Jones angle to the whole international art thief thing. Yeah. And I'm like, that all sounds great, but uh, but again... It's Netflix's patented idea of we're going to buy a dead IP and then we're going to half-ass our way through a kid's show about it. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to coast off of, you know, the nostalgia factor. And they have done that well and they've done that poorly. Voltron yes. sounded like they did it very, very well. Voltron, they did do it very well. That's a that's a great show. Um, I've heard that She-Ra, mixed bag, but a lot of people are positive on She-Ra. I've heard a lot of good things. Um, what else have they done? They they took back Inspector Gadget and everyone let them keep it. I guess they're like, "That's fine, you did that, cool." Yeah, uh, uh, they also like did it with. Uh, uh, well, Richie Rich was one that they did a live action show for, and it looked god awful <laughs> to me. Oh, and let us not forget that they rebooted reboot. <laughs> yes, they rebooted reboot. As basically a Power Rangers clone. Boy, yeah. They basically, they remade VR Troopers yeah. on accident. They're like, we're going to remake VR Troopers. Now, meanwhile, like, they're, they're oh, doing all crazy. of this, and for the highest tier uh, Netflix plan, it's now more expensive than your HBO now if you're just doing it a la carte from HBO. Sure. Because that's like 15 bucks. Now, in order to get the uh, multiple downloads on multiple devices and everything's bumped up to 4K, mm-hmm. the big plan, yeah, that one, like, for the longest time it was 13, then they bumped it up to, I think, 15, now it's going to go up to $17. What? 17 a month for, now granted, that's the plan I'm on, mm-hmm. and now I'm on that plan because we're talking me... My wife, both of my kids, every one of us has got a device. Hmm. We're we're downloading Netflix stuff onto those devices for car trips, mm-hmm. of which we take a lot. Sure. And also, yeah, I do kind of want everything bumped up to 4K. Uh, that's a weakness of mine. But and it's nice for me because I'm pretty much the only one in our house that, well... Me and Charlie switch off when Charlie sometimes will watch some some Netflix shows for kids during his screen time when he has screen time during the day. Uh, we don't put it on the tablet or anything. We just have it at the TV. So if he's on it, I'm not. 
that's never a problem. My sister has my Netflix as well, and my parents have my Netflix as well. My parents rarely ever use it, so at most it will only really ever be on two screens, and that's never been... We've never run into a problem of all three of us coincidentally trying to watch it at once. So I've had that, and I don't have a TV or any devices capable of 4K, so I don't care about that. I'm pretty fine with whatever quality I get, as long as it's not the super pixelated, janky style stuff, where it's like, oh, your connection's really bad. Here's yeah, and that's that's the the teeny tiny plan, which I think is being bumped up like from six dollars to eight dollars or something. Yeah, it's like, look, if I'm gonna pay for middle plan, give me middle plan at least. Don't 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 do me dirty here, Netflix. I'm paying for at least a little better than that crap. Now, the thing that gets me about the price hike is that this one is finally, I think, the first one where Netflix is cockwalking. Like, what are you going to do? Not pay whatever we ask for Stranger Things Volume 3? And, and some of us will say yes. <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll get burned from it. And they should get burned for being cocky. I don't think that it's necessarily wrong of them to need to increase the price. Again, as I said, they... They got into this totally unsure what the market would be. They needed to make the market happen because there was there was some minor competition at the time, mostly Blockbuster. And Blockbuster, all they had to really do was let Blockbuster choke themselves, and they totally yeah. did. Blockbuster, I from what I remember, Blockbuster was about ready to compete right against them with their own like disc service and streaming service and then Blockbuster did a 180 at the last second before they were about to like launch this thing fully even though it was successful in its test runs and they pivoted and said no way people are going to stick with brick and mortar stores baby all the way and well, that and then- didn't work if I remember right, Blockbuster also had to fight on two fronts, very much like the Nazis. Uh, <laughs> Blockbusters were Nazis, true. Okay, continue. Well, there is something kind of more Stalin-esque about Blockbuster, but uh, I'll leave that for for uh, Blockbuster uh, former employees to talk about. Yeah. But uh, no, like th- there was. Uh, they 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 had to fight Netflix with the disc service, and I think they were planning a streaming service when streaming services were largely theoretical. But yeah. they also decided, oh, we're going to fight Redbox tooth and nail as well, and they started developing their own Dropbox system that I were basically Redboxes. Yeah, I wouldn't even say they were fighting tooth and nail. They were they were they were batting at both companies, and they were so certain no. These are fads. People want to go out. Well, keep keep in mind nothing. they were they were poised like uh, there there was a year there where the the video store industry was like oh we're gonna see a resurgence because mm-hmm. we're finally switching from DVD to Blu-ray. Yeah. So they were there. I remember my last video store, which was my college video store. It was a Hollywood video, which that's that's when video stores died. Was when Hollywood video died for me. That was my video store for the longest time, yeah. And they, there was that moment of as soon as I got to college, they were like, "All right, that's it. We're done. We're a small town, but we're finally we're doing it. We're selling off all of our VHS stock at twenty five cents each. <laughs> Whatever doesn't get sold, we are throwing it in the garbage." And making room for more DVDs. Then they did that within a couple of years. 
HD, DVD, and Blu-ray started kicking off their Cold War. Mm-hmm. And suddenly there was a section for Blu-ray and a section for HD DVDs, and then the rest was DVD. Yeah. Then HD DVD took a dump, and <laughs> and it went away very, very quickly and very, very quietly. And suddenly yes, it was like, all right, now there's a Blu-ray section. And then the weirdest thing happened. The Blu-ray section disappeared. And I think it had something to do with, well, we're not going to make it long enough to make the investment for this work, so how about we sell this off and get the money for it now, and then we'll just see how we can do with DVD for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of sad, though. That whole everything is just weird. And yeah. that's the point, though, is that Netflix started at where they had no idea what they were going to do and what they needed to be and how to be successful. Everything was Netflix was functioning on spec and largely still is. It's one of those where I had heard a couple of years back that they weren't making money. They were spending money and they had a lot of investment because everyone assumed that this is going to make money because they've thrown so much into it. It's kind of that like what is it, the sunk cost fallacy? Every like every investor assumed, well, we've already spent this many billions in this. It might as well succeed. And they didn't really make a profit. They just kept buying more properties and greenlighting more shows and movies, which we have not seen slow down. We've seen that ramp up. Crazily enough, they're still doing, obviously they're doing well, but we could see when they first tr- attempted their big price hike, and everyone has now... Most forgotten, because this was like 10 years ago, when they tried to split into Netflix and was like, Flick, Flick, Flick Picks or Flickster or something. Basically, they're trying, it was the, it was the streaming service and the disc service. They wanted to split those and charge the same price for the two services that you, we paid for the one combined service and everyone lost it so much so that they abandoned that, which is amazing to see. You don't ever see a pivot that hard from a model that that a company is going to go that far, that's gone so far into that they have already, like, greenlit a secondary company with naming and logos and branding, and they just, they flushed that other entity, well, like, never mind. Well, when they announced it, their stock took a huge, huge dive, and that's, I think, that if if Netflix has a weakness, it is the fact that, that company's every move is an absolute reaction to whatever it is their stock is doing, whatever it yep. is their shareholders feel in the moment will that that will change that company's direction that hardcore. And that is a weakness. That's not that's well, not a strength. It has to, because again, it's a company that's based on spec. So yeah. Yeah, they that's where their money comes from, is from yeah. stocks and investments. If that suddenly leaves, they have to change. They they can't. It's not about the customers. It's about the investors. Well, and hence the the price hike that just came. And meanwhile, Hulu uh, played a little practical joke on them by announcing like two days later, um, we're actually dropping our price on our <laughs> flagship subscription service. Nice. Like this is the Hulu with ads, so it's the cheapo one. It's it, mm-hmm. and they're dropping it from seven ninety nine to five ninety nine a month, and I'm here to tell you it's worth every penny. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Hulu's got a lot of great stuff on it that's not available on Netflix, and uh, they get decent movies on there too. It's I for, yeah, the ads are a little bit of a pain, but the no ad Hulu is twelve bucks a month, and I think it's remaining twelve bucks a month. But they are cranking up their uh, Hulu with live TV packages, which. Uh, I mean, if you're gonna pay that much, you might as well just pay for cable, honestly. Kinda. I don't know who's who's getting in on these Hulu with live TV accounts, but I guess it's a yeah. thing that's happening now. I have the standard Hulu with a the, the non ad Hulu through a friend, which yeah. is again like it's at the point where everyone has more or less everyone has one streaming service they pay for, and then they share it with their friends. That's kind of. What I've seen. My HBO is not mine. It's from a friend who shares it with me. And I found knock on effect with that. It also works. The same password works for, um, true TVs like login. So I can watch Adam ruins everything episodes. And I'm very pleased about that because Netflix really didn't know what the hell they were doing showing that. Cause they showed not the first season of Adam ruins everything. They showed a collection of 20 random ass episodes in an arbitrary order, and it's not like the show has a plot, but it did have a through line that's like, this is kind of where they're going, and you, you can't show these, you, you can see them out of order, sure, but if you watch them in order, it makes a little more sense, like you get a few more running jokes, mm-hmm. so it's weird. So as soon as I found out that, hey, I can actually watch the new season, because Adam Ruins Everything is still gathering more and more steam and it's making more and more episodes that are getting people talking and i really like it it recently did an episode on guns which was fascinating to hear about that it did an episode on sleep which is fascinating yesterday's episode apparently ruins games and i can't wait to watch that because it also have guest stars weird al and oh always a good time that's true he's a he's a terrific guest star on almost anything this season also began with Adam ruining a plate of nachos, which was <laughs> a great premise, and it was also a fascinating episode, which, of course, ruined um, corn, avocados, and bacon. Like, cool. Ruins a plate of nachos. I love it. They went with this concept, and it worked. So the point I'm making again, because I keep making the point, it's just, this, is a, this is like a pincushion, Kyle. I'm making a lot of points here. The point is that there's... There's, Netflix doesn't own streaming anymore. And the streaming it does own, it's having a lot more negative reactions than it has positive. We are still excited for Stranger Things season three, but we also are really, we're, we're, we're frustrated to see how they're handling the Marvel properties and how those have to leave by default because Marvel's like, well, we're going to take our toys back because we're going to have our own service. Like, yeah, okay, I mean that's not. I'm, I'm not going to hold Netflix responsible for that, but no, yeah, but it's, it's it's it sucks that that's yeah, it's, that. And meanwhile, they're getting caught with bad juju. They're getting caught there. They're always a, they're they're a year behind on any popular new shows that are in syndication from TV. Hulu generally has those same time. Like I think Netflix is still a season behind on The Good Place, which is that's going to be a huge fault because that. Show well, awesome. I mean, The Good Place just finished season three like last night. Sure, but doesn't Hulu have those episodes already? Well, yeah, because they air and then they're on Hulu like the next day because yeah. 
you know. Netflix, it took them until basically the third season was starting to air for them to finally drop the second season. It feels like an eternity when you're in a time when everyone can talk about something. You're like, oh, well, I can't wait to watch right, the show. But, but that's the thing. That's the standard Netflix contract that they've had for so long. And, sure. it, it, and it was perfectly reasonable back when they were the only kid on the block to be exactly. like, okay, the whole season has to has to air on live TV. Then the whole season has to come out on DVD. Then it has to be available for rent uh, on video on demand. Then after it's hit all of those things, the whole thing drops on Netflix. That has always been the model. Sure. Uh, I think even with The Good Place, they're actually uh, pretty speedy about putting it out the whole season, I think within three months after it ends. So they're getting better. They're getting better with it, but only on select things. Like, I, I think The Walking Dead, they do that as well. Yeah, I know The Walking Dead have been pretty up to date on that, even though I'm not watching that. So that one, that one lost its appeal for pretty quick. Um, they, I think they have, they're in a rough spot where they can't, they, they have so little good news and like positive buzz other than, hey, when is the next season of Stranger Things? And oh, here's a cool Black Mirror concept. And I still haven't seen Bandersnatch, but I hear it's, You've got everyone talking, like, oh, that's good, that's very good. What else have you got? Well, we did had to have to let out a wet fart for the final season of uh, of um, House of Cards. Please watch that. And we're like, mm, well, Robin Wright's good, but the show is forever ruined. Not her fault. It's just I'm never going to watch that show again. I don't really want to ever. Yeah, you're kind of fine. Yeah, and it's a shame because again, Robin Wright is a fantastic actress, and I, it's a shame that it wasn't just her show to begin with. Yeah, um, actually, like that's the shame of it is now that we get to the final season, it's like, oh man, this is such a better, this is such a better concept for a show anyway. Mm-hmm. This would have been the better show the whole time. Yeah, and they kind of have to keep bailing themselves out of that. They have the the Arrested Development stuff where it's like, what are we doing, with Arrested Development? Who the heck knows? Oh no, 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 Jeffrey Tambor's having a thing, and, and that sucks. And they're still trying to mix in good shows, and they're making really good shows when they do make the really good shows. But we got a lot of garbage, as you said. Like, they're just, they're just taking shots. And they're, 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 they're now learning that other people are taking more precise shots and nailing them more often than they are, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry, dude. I I think I am being summoned. The boy will not go to sleep without me now. Naturally. That's okay. We've hit a natural conclusion here, probably we, in we, the show, because <laughs> everyone knew that I was wanting to talk about Smash Brothers as always, but this is good because Piranha Plant hasn't released yet. That'll probably be next week, and then I'll have more to talk about with Smash Brothers while I gush over Piranha Plant and then dump all over the online again because, man... Man. <laughs> well, that's fine. And when we when we do that, uh, I'll also be sure to talk about what we didn't get to, uh, which is my big gripe session about EA and their inability to make a Star Wars video game now, like uh, like this is 1997 or something. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, I will say, Jim Sterling pointed it out. He actually talked about this this last week, where he's like, in the same amount of time. That EA has had license, 
the same amount of time like previously, like these all these companies came out with these games, these varied games. And in the same amount of time, EA has managed to release two Star Wars games. It's nuts, dude. I went on Steam and just typed in Star Wars, and I was just hit with a wave of, like, oh, man, I remember all of these. These were all so good. Not a single one of them is a dud. This is crazy. And and meanwhile, now we've got two crappy Battlefield clones that that just stink. Let us not forget that... EA having exclusive rights to Star Wars games also owns BioWare. <laughs> and they couldn't figure out how to make a good Star Wars game. Uh well, I I I feel dirty all over just thinking about it. Tune in next time to find all about that unless we forget about that topic and don't discuss it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always a possibility. It's always a possibility. But in the meantime, you can find us at where, Kyle? Well, you can find everything that we write and talk about on uh, media-sandwich.com, which includes uh, my exercise-slash-TV review column, Crossing the Stream, uh, Chris's exercise-slash-game uh, recap series, uh, writing the backlog. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also dropped some uh, movie reviews called Letterboxd Reviews that are part of my Letterboxd account on the social media site for Movie Geeks, Letterboxd. Uh, we also, every once in a while, though, there will be a mobile game review, Casual Fridays. It's all there at media-sandwich.com. Uh, you can also email us at the show, and we will, you know, we haven't gotten an email yet with the rebooted version of the show, so email us and maybe we'll read your email out loud and talk to you and it'll be real uh it'll be real inventive like that bandersnatch scenario. Be fantastic. Uh, yeah. And uh meanwhile you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Kyle Martinak. And I'm at the Chris Pranger. And everything that pops up on the blog or any show pot uh podcast episode that drops is also at media underscore sandwich on the Twitter. And you can also find us at Facebook, which is at, uh, it's uh, facebook.com slash media sandwich podcast show, I believe. Something like that. Something, just, fi- you, you'll find it. You'll it's find an ARG. It. You have to, fi- you have to figure out what it is. <laughs> yeah, sure. Kids today uh, love that. Love the ARGs. Oh, uh, ARG. You see, you seemed so futuristic in 2011. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, until, until we meet again for more happenings, more, more happenings, on. more podcasts, more, we'll do dad reviews of things soon. We'll yes, yes, we've got one of those. And then I've also got another side show that I've been planning for a bit, I think might come to fruition soon. There you go. So, well, it's 11.30 here, Kyle. That means I need to get a sandwich. So, until then, we'll tell you all about that sandwich next time. We will. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye.
No, it's not. It is recording. I'm just waiting. Oh. Pee-pee-poo-poo. <laughs> a little present for later. That's a present for Kyle. He's the one that is you. <laughs> Kyle. <laughs> Pee-pee-poo-poo. Oh, no, no, I remember. Oh, it. penis. <laughs> oh. We'll put that as an episode finisher. This will be a post-credit scene. <laughs> no, word from our sponsors. Pee-pee-poo-poo. <laughs> penis. All right, you dork. Go to bed. Right. Hey, uh, are you prangers being cute on this podcast or something? (laughs) We're absolutely not. We're being inappropriate. Oh, no. You have curse words. (laughs) Curse words. Curse words, you guys. Us guys. We may have said that. All right, good night. Night, night. Night, night, Kyle. Oh, night, night. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.